0: Hi everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner, and you are listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast, where we talk about pregnancy, parenting, politics, feminism, healthcare, and a whole lot more. Whew, we've talked about some good stuff lately, from how parenting standards measure up around the world and why the U.S. is nowhere near the top, to the power of meditation to improve just about everything, to epidurals and infertility, to so much more. There's always so much to talk about with pregnancy and parenting, right? Because those topics touch every single person on the planet. Every single person is impacted by pregnancy and parenting. There ain't nobody out there who didn't come from a mother, not one person, not even if you're in Congress or in a position of power, not into maternal health care or family planning, not even if you're the president of the United States. Everybody has a mother, knows a mother, or is a mother, and that's what this pod is about. We're elevating the status of women, so we get the fair credit, attention, and resources we deserve, whether we decide to mother or not. Women make up more than 50% of the population, and we're responsible for 100% of the next generation. It's time we made a few changes. And in a week like this one, where the news cycle is spinning out of control about sexual harassment stories, those changes can't, they just can't come soon enough. Talking about uncomfortable topics is a big part of making change happen. So that's what this podcast is about. We're talking about things. This week, we have a few listener emails to get to, and I thought we'd bring Chris Beard on the pod again to help answer them. Chris is a certified nurse midwife who's been on the podcast several times now, and she knows what she's talking about. We always have a good time chatting. So without further ado, let's just dive in today and get Chris on the phone. Hello. Hi, Chris. It's Jeannie. How are you? I'm good, Jeannie. How are you? I am good. It's drizzly cold today, isn't it? I love it. You love it? I do. (laughs) I'm dipping my toes into it. It's the dark season here in Portland, Oregon. We started a little early. It's getting cold. I'm getting gloomy. Uh, Oh, well, I'm done whining. Okay. (laughs) Well, Chris, let's start off by telling listeners who don't already know midwife Chris what your job title is.
1: I am a nurse midwife for Kaiser Permanente, which is a large HMO here in Portland, Oregon. I just passed my 20-year mark with them, and I am currently the lead of my group and catch babies and see patients in the clinic. How many
0: babies do you think you've caught?
1: That's a very interesting question that gets asked pretty frequently. Well, I've been full-scope midwife for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Many of those years I caught well over a hundred babies. So I'm guessing I'm in the three thousand ish range. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. kind of persnickety that I only count I have a I have a log book and I only put patients in the log book if my hands were on the baby when it came out. So if Got I it. if the patient has a C section or if I have a student with me, I don't put that patient in my log book. Got it. So I'm guessing Three thousand give or take That's a lot. It's a, a lot. It's a lot. most you want to hear a crazy story? Yes, please. I have two children, one's 15 and one's in middle school, who's 12. Mm. And when my 15 year old was in middle school, she was in the band. and I went to one of her band performances and I saw one of my patients there. And her son was in the band with my daughter. Wow. And that's kind of crazy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Portland's a small town that way.
0: I know. It really is. Yeah. I don't have any idea how many babies I was there for. I tried to do the math a lot. Yeah. Because, you know, as a nurse, sometimes you are in on two or three births in a ship. Absolutely. And if you're the charge nurse then you might be in every birth that night. You know, there could be eight or ten births going on that night. And, you know, while you're not the one with the hands on the baby, I mean, it counts. It's a lot of births. I have no idea. And, you know, what's funny is that most of the providers and nurses and, you know, doctors and midwives that I talk to, they can't give a solid number. I don't know anybody who can. (laughs) Yeah. Well, usually, Chris, we, you know, start off with the – You know, who are you and what do you do question, but we've had you on the podcast so many times now that I want to ask you a really different question. Please. Yeah. Ready? Okay. Are you the person you thought you'd be when you grew up? No, I am not. I Mm. thought that
1: I would be a pediatrician Mm -hmm. married with a
0: bunch of kids. And you're a midwife, single, with two kids. Correct. Yeah. All right. How about you? Are you the person you thought you'd be when you grew up? Pretty much. Yeah. Although I didn't think I'd have as many kids as I did, as I have. I thought I'd have two kids, um, but I had several more than that. Um, I thought I'd be a midwife, uh, but I got as far as labor and delivery nurse. And then I always had this sort of inkling in my mind that I'd be a writer when I grew up. But I didn't know how. I didn't have... I think when I was a kid, I thought I'd be a novelist. Um, But I'm not. Nonfiction. That's what I do. And podcasting. That, of course, was certainly not on my horizon. Though I liked the idea of being in broadcast somehow. That is so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Cool. Yeah. Well... Let's talk a little bit of politics. And then what I want to do today is um, I've got a few pretty pretty good listener emails that I want to cover today. You in? Absolutely. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about President Trump's recent uh, actions on birth control and insurance access. And a lot of listeners don't get the connection between birth control, family planning, contraception, whatever, you know, words what people want to use, and maternal health. So I wanted to break that down a little bit for them. Do you want to start? Do you want me to start? Why don't you start? Okay. So if you ask an obstetrician or probably a midwife, they're going to probably tell you that the safest pregnancy that a woman can have is the one she doesn't have. Because every pregnancy has an impact on a woman's body. Now, in our line of work, you and I have seen women who have had back-to-back-to-back-to-back babies. And what happens so often is that we're really concerned about them bleeding to death because their uterus is overworked. Or we see um, girls who come in way too young for their bodies to be able to accommodate their pregnancy, but they got pregnant young. Or we see women who are in some other sort of health predicament, who really it would be better for them if they could put a few years between their pregnancies, and yet they don't, and so there are complications. So I guess for me, I like to help people understand that birth control isn't simply a convenience factor for reducing the number of children you might have. It's also health care. Okay, your turn.
1: So my personal belief is that access to family planning, whatever, whatever method someone, a woman chooses, is an essential component of health care. And women need and deserve control over their own bodies, and that includes birth control. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's very interesting to look down the road at what happens when somebody doesn't have control over their births. If you lack access to birth control, you have unplanned pregnancies. If you have unplanned pregnancies, you can't complete your education. Sometimes you can't even care for the family that you have, yet you go on to have Mm -hmm. more and more unplanned pregnancies. And that leads Mm -hmm. to poverty. Mm -hmm. And we all know that um, it's a big job to raise children to be healthy, normal people. And if you don't have control over the number of children that you have, it's very hard to raise healthy, normal people when the kids keep coming, you know, every year or two. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we're around the same age. We grew up after Roe v. Wade. And we grew up in a time when there was a Planned Parenthood in most cities where you could make an appointment, walk in, have an exam, get a method of birth control, walk out, and continue with your life. And I think what we're right. what we're potentially seeing is the end of that era where there will no longer be Planned Parenthood clinics and there will no longer be, in some states, and there will no longer be mm-hmm. the ability for a young woman to take initiative, go get herself some birth control, and carry on with her life. Mm-hmm. And that, to yeah. me, is
0: really unwelcome. Unwelcome is a, it's an interesting choice of words. I agree with you. I would also add it's dangerous. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, I think that the way that this is being presented as being a way to potentially reduce you know, teenage sexual activity or, you know, somehow it's being considered as a way to perhaps curb sexuality, which, you know, we've looked at this. We've looked at what lack of access to birth control does and um, it doesn't curb sexuality. (laughs) It just creates more children and unplanned pregnancies. We know this stuff. This isn't new information. This isn't new information at all. And, um,
1: you know, as a, as a, I, I don't know if I would call myself politically savvy, but I've certainly had to become more politically aware in the last couple of years and come out of my mm-hmm. everything's groovy bubble. Um, mm-hmm. Looking at the way decisions are being made about health care and about women's health care specifically is really, um, really maddening. When you look at yeah. the folks in Congress who are making decisions about women's health care, there are no women on those committees. Women make up over no, 50% of the population in the United States of America. And women are not mm-hmm. being involved in the decisions around making health care policy under this current administration. And to me, that is that speaks really loudly to... Um, the political goals of this administration, which is women have no place here, mm-hmm. and women's health doesn't it's matter. A man's world, and mm-hmm. we are going to um, make the decisions, and women aren't going to be part
0: of it. That's the message that we are receiving right now.
1: That is the message that we are receiving, and what I'm my perception is: you take away access to contraception, you put limits on abortion. And you don't have women involved in health care. And that is a war on women mm-hmm. in this country. Yeah. Yep. And yep. we know that if you don't have access to contraception, you're going to have unplanned pregnancy because as many ways as people through the ages have, have tried to curb sexuality, we are biological beings and sexuality is part of our nature it is right. our nature, and you can't squash it, wish it away, pray it away, whatever. So people are going to have sex, and they're going to get pregnant. And people who have mm-hmm. unplanned pregnancies have all kinds of um, complications and issues. I mean, women who really have health issues that, that would lead them to want to plan their pregnancies or want to limit the number of pregnancies they have are going to continue to get pregnant, And then you add on top of that, the lack of access to healthcare, you're going to have more women getting pregnant, more women who are sick getting pregnant, and fewer people to take care of them and recognize when things are really bad and they need a higher level of care. And so what that is going to lead to is an increase in maternal morbidity and mortality. And we're already in a bad place with that in this country.
0: And we also don't subsidize and support any kind of child care services. And so, you know, that just exacerbates the poverty situation. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Scary time right now. And, you know, there's some noise today and I haven't checked the news yet about what's going on about um, the Affordable Care Act and some sort of an executive order going on. And I'm going to be watching the news carefully about that to see what's next. I am, you know, one of the families that has been really positively impacted by the Affordable Care Act. Um, my children have too. And yeah, I see that there are uh, improvements to be made, but I don't want to see it go away. You know? I don't want to see it go away either. And I,
1: I think that um, the missed opportunity for... Democrats and Republicans to work together to create um, a better plan is is going to be it's a loss for for people like you who benefit from the Affordable Care Act.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I'm a fan of universal coverage in single payer health insurance systems, and I talk to healthcare providers and patients, you know, in countries all over the world, many of whom have single-payer health insurance systems. In fact, you know, the woman that I spoke with, with last week, Sophia Petzikas, was talking about, um, you know, how parenting measures up around the world. And in the countries where parents are happiest, healthiest, and most functional, they all have universal health care. Nobody even worries about it. And they're so curious about us. Like, so when you go to the doctor, is it the same price every time? oh no, (laughs) we never know how much it's going to cost us. What about your medications? Oh yeah, it could be one price one month and another price another month. And it all depends on the insurance industry. People are blown away by it. You know, I'm kind of hoping that whatever catastrophe we're facing in healthcare with this administration is just going to be the revolution we need to bump forward into a system that really works for everybody. You know, some sort of something that covers everybody for everything and leaves no one out so that a mother in rural Indiana will have the same maternity coverage as a mother in New York City or Portland, Oregon, good, affordable care. That's what we want. That would be a great thing. And I hope you're right. Yeah. I hope so. I'm going to remain optimistic. I made, I've made the decision that I will. You know, I think that, um, Advancing the scope of practice and number of midwives who are practicing in obstetric care specifically is key to providing better coverage for everybody. Um, But it's, you know, here in Portland, Oregon, we're all spoiled. You know, you've been practicing as a full scope midwife for 25 years. But in New York City, in almost all of the hospitals, midwives don't even deliver babies in the hospitals yet. You know, I know, but they don't, they don't in, you know, Manhattan hospitals, you're not going to find midwives. Maybe there's a practice or two, but
1: it's not widespread. overwhelmingly
0: what happens. No, 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 no. What happens is that, um, you know, a lot of practices will have midwives in the office so that patients will see their midwife for their prenatal care, but they get to a certain point or they get into labor and delivery and their care is transferred to the obstetrician. And that's pretty standard. That's how the way it goes.
1: Well, it'd be nice to see a, um, a broader shift in the in the way healthcare is delivered. Because I've said this before yeah. on your show, on um, your podcast, on your podcast show, um, you know, obstetricians are surgeons. You don't need a surgeon to take care of a normal, healthy mm-hmm. mom. You need a surgeon when you've got an emergency. You need right. a surgeon when you've got a high-risk mom. But right. the number of high-risk moms is far fewer than the number of normal healthy moms. And, you know, my my right. personal hope is that every woman has access to a midwife. I think that's what women deserve. Right. And I think that's what women need whether they I do whether too. the our culture recognizes that or not.
0: Right. Right. I agree with you. Well, let's Great. let's answer some some emails, shall we? This one comes from another country, and um, we might have to shift into a little bit different level here. Hello, doctor. And side note, listeners, I'm not a doctor; I'm a nurse. Um, I just saw lots of comments about you on a web page, so I think I should email you. My wife is having 32 weeks of pregnancy, and today we went to doctor. She told my wife that you are having heavy fluid and that freaks me out. We are worried. I am asking you to tell me what is right. Thanks. I am sending the ultrasound and its report. So I want to say first off to listeners, no matter what country you're in, is that I'm not going to second guess your physicians and I'm not going to evaluate your medical reports because I'm not qualified to do that. What I can do is I can talk things through and help explain things a little bit to you so that you can make your own decisions with your family and your healthcare providers. Um, so that's something I just like to say right off the bat. I'm not making your decisions for you. You do that. But let's start at the, at the beginning here. 32 weeks pregnant, looks like she had an ultrasound and um, has more fluid than usual. I get so many emails about Polyhydramnios, Chris. So many. It's like my number one email that I get. People hear this. Interesting. Yeah, their doctor tells them somewhere, you know, in the after thirty week stage, that yeah, they've got a lot of fluid, and it and you know most of the time it's not a problem, but it sure does sow the worry seeds. So let's talk a little bit about well, I think- it. Yeah. I
1: think one of the reason it,
0: well, potentially one of the reasons
1: it sows the worry seeds is that when you have extra fluid, you look huge. Yeah. And so everyone tells you, oh my God, you're huge. Are you having twins? You're going to have a giant baby. And so the worry seeds get sowed into the mother too, mm-hmm. because she, and you do look huge. Mm-hmm. If, if you have extra fluid, you're going to measure bigger than expected. Right. You're going to look bigger than expected. And so I think that is, that also plays into people's, um, experiences when they have extra fluid. Right. right. You know, most of the time we don't really know what causes extra fluid. Um, it's called idiopathic, um, polyhydramnios. Sometimes there is actually a reason, um, either the woman has gestational diabetes that hasn't been discovered or there's some sort of, um, issue with the baby, but in, in, in the USA, most people get an anatomy ultrasound. So any kind of kidney issue or swallowing issue with, with the baby would have been probably picked up sooner mm-hmm. than a 32-week ultrasound. But, mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah. So the extra fluid does worry people. Yeah, it does. So what are some of the concerns that they're worried about? For, like, I mean, if let's rule out an anatomical problem with the baby. Let's just say... She's got a lot of fluid and we, the baby's fine. What are the things that that doctor is worried about?
1: Probably worried about, um, you know, what would happen if she suddenly ruptured her membranes and there's fluid, could the cord come down? Um, Probably worried about preterm labor because there's, um, you know, if the uterus gets, since we don't really know what starts labor, one of the theories is it's the stretch of the uterus. She start having preterm mm-hmm. contractions if she's got extra fluid. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes people have respiratory issues when they have so much fluid. You know, they can't. They have difficulty catching their breath because there's no room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, in it, in our practice, it's very. Um, it it's not very common, but sometimes they do something called amnioreduction, which is they use a needle and take fluid off. Around the baby, if there's so much fluid,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they want the baby to continue mm-hmm. to stay in the uterus,
0: which at 32 weeks you certainly would. Yes, you yeah. Would. So it, you know, we don't. What other things can you think of? I, did I miss anything? Um, no, I think you know the cord is the thing that most people are concerned about. And and for my listener, um, you know, if there's so much fluid in there that the baby can move around and you know kind of tie itself in knots in the cords and you know that's a concern too Um, but most of these concerns actually don't happen very often you know and I kind of want to I kind of want to let our listeners know that you can have you can look like you got you can measure high with amniotic fluid and still be perfectly fine you know it might warrant a little bit more monitoring but it doesn't mean that you can't have a perfectly normal, healthy delivery for and sure. a normal, healthy kid. Yeah. Yeah. I think for our listener, just hang in there. You may or may not have a problem. I'm going to err on the side of you probably don't. Um, but wait and see what happens next. And, you know, we're here for you. Send us another email and maybe we can help you talk it through a little bit more. Um. Okay, got another one. You want to do another? Yeah. I've actually got two more, but um, let's do this one. Um, Hello, Jeannie. I read your article on fitpregnancy.com and was compelled to reach out to you. It's a wonderful article and very helpful. I'm not sure which article it is, but I used to write for Fit Pregnancy a long time ago. Um, My wife is in her 33rd week and has been having regular contractions once or twice a day, about two every 10 minutes, lasting about four to five hours. This has been happening since the last five days or so. However, her cervix length, as checked today, oh, as checked day before, was still at four centimeters, and her fetal fibronectin tests were negative. Her urine analysis led led the doctors to believe she might have a urinary tract infection, for which she started antibiotics. While in the hospital, she was given tributaline, which seemed to stop the contractions for a period of eight to 10 hours. The doctors don't seem to know the probable cause yet. Now, while I understand that it's possible that no certain cause could be known, I was wondering whether you would have any insight into this, as well as any guidance on whether we should be mentally prepared to have a preterm baby. Look forward to hearing from you. Thanks, Sid. So there's a lot in there. There's a lot yeah. in there. they always there's always more than one issue right. in here. Uh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. so thirty three weeks, let's start at the top and talk it through. thirty three weeks, regular contractions once or twice a day every two, two, every ten minutes, so they're five minutes apart more or less, um for four or five hours. Does that worry you? thirty three weeks uh, contracting regularly at thirty three weeks would worry me.
1: And I tell people. Mm-hmm. If you're having more than four contractions an hour for more than two hours, Mm -hmm. we want to hear from you. So it sounds like she has period two, two periods during the day where she's having a lot of contractions and the periods Mm -hmm. last a couple of hours. Is that, am I interpreting that right? Lasting about four Four to five five hours. hours. So she's contracting basically eight hours a day is what she's saying.
0: That's what it looks like. So that's like, a yeah. lot
1: of contractions at 33 weeks, and I would be mm-hmm. concerned myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it mm-hmm. sounds like she came in and had um, an evaluation with a cervical check mm-hmm. and a fetal fibronectin test. The f-
0: and, a, and a nice, and long, a nice cervix. long
1: cervix. So a fetal fibronectin, if it's negative, tells you that you're probably not at risk for having a baby within the next two to three days. If it's positive... Mm-hmm raises your alert for the risk of preterm birth, but it's not predictable and hers mm-hmm. was negative. So that's reassuring. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that her contraction stopped with turbutylene, which is not a medication that we use anymore, um, at least not right. regularly, maybe in a rare case, um, that's mm-hmm. reassuring that they stopped. You know, if mm-hmm. she were my patient, I would ask her, you know, what time of the day are the contractions happening? Is it happening when you're working? Is it happening at the end of the day when you've been very busy? Um, I would try to figure out if they're activity related. Did they do a urine test? They did.
0: Yeah, and um, urinalysis led the doctors to believe she may have a urinary tract infection for which she started antibiotics. So I think one of the leading causes of preterm
1: labor is urinary tract infection. So getting that under control is very possible that those contractions will go away.
0: Right, right. Okay. Did we do it? Did we answer Sid's question? Oh. Any guidance on whether we should be mentally prepared to have a preterm baby?
1: Um, well, I mean, I think there's still a risk because you, you know, you preterm babies are hard to predict. Um I yeah. think that it never hurts to have your bag packed and your car seat in the car but um it sounds like they got good evaluation they got antibiotics and that's most likely going to make those contractions go away so I would say yeah. I wouldn't spend a lot of time thinking about it once your bags packed
0: I don't know that worry is ever all that um helpful anticipation, preparation, you know, knowing what you're, what to expect going in, always wise, but, you know, don't put a lot of fear into it. Most of the time, these things turn out just fine. Okay, so I have one last one, and it's just a short one. What's the difference between a normal birth, a natural birth, and physiologic birth? why can't I just call it what I want? <laughs> I love this. You can, you can call it whatever you want. You can
1: call it whatever you want. I, I, and I think yeah. that unfortunately we do a lot of nitpicking and dividing about people's mm-hmm. birth stories. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you
0: know, um, I wish we didn't do that. I wish we didn't. Do that. Yeah. I think, I think that too often we try to correct women's language when we know what they're talking about. Now, you know, there, people yes, do will. mean different things by normal birth or natural birth. I mean, natural birth, in my mind, generally means that somebody's talking about an unmedicated birth. In my birth,
1: mind as well. You know,
0: natural childbirth. Yeah. But for some women, a natural birth means that you are having your birth the natural way, which means a vaginal birth or, you know, a spontaneous labor. Um, for other women, that they use the word normal birth for that. But in the birth community, you know, we all like fancy words and physiologic birth is something that's been used a lot over the last couple of years. And I guess it works in a medical setting, but I don't know any women in normal, real life who use that I don't that think term. women in real life use that term. I think... Um... Advocates
1: for for vaginal birth use that term because there has mm-hmm. been a real swing away from um, spontaneous labor and birth without pitocin, and so physiologic birth is right. spontaneous labor without pitocin. And so I think right. in the in the medical setting that term is very popular right now, um, but I think out mm-hmm. in the in the, in the community, people probably don't know really what that means.
0: Right. My recommendation for people is always ask your next question. You know, if somebody says to you, you know, Oh, oh, you know, we want you to have a natural birth or, you know, something like that. Um, ask them what they mean. Ask the next question. You're entitled to ask as many questions as you need to as a patient to figure out what they're talking about because we don't all speak the same language. And you know, natural means one thing to me, it means something else to somebody else. Let's just communicate and figure it out, you know? Good idea. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. I had somebody ask me recently, is it better to have a natural birth? I'm sorry. I didn't hear that. Or a vaginal birth? Somebody asked me recently, is it better to have a natural birth or a vaginal birth? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know better. I don't know better. I think it depends on the person. Well, Chris, what else should we talk about before I let you go on about your day? I don't know. We just answered some darn good questions. Maybe we did it. Maybe we did it for today. We've solved all of the world's problems. Once once again. again. Well,
1: it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I think our conversations Uh are usually wide ranging and very interesting.
0: Food for thought for me, for sure. Yep. And um, they get downloaded a lot. (laughs) The, The podcast episodes I do with you because people are looking for solid medical information that's accurate non um you know crisis oriented and not fear-based people are, are looking for what you have to say chris thank you well i love being on your pod well cool we'll have you back again very soon that would be great okay talk to you later okay thanks Jeannie. Bye. bye-bye This week's guest is Chris Beard, Certified Nurse Midwife at Kaiser Permanente here in Portland, Oregon. You can listen back to some of Chris's other advice on common sense pregnancy and parenting by downloading... um, Go to episode 87, where she talks about maternal health emergencies and fat shaming. Or episode 58, where Chris and I answer more questions about labor and birth. You can learn more about me at JeanFaulkner.com email me jean at jean faulkner tweet me at jean faulkner hey guys we're still looking for sponsors we want you to subscribe and don't forget to buy the book common sense pregnancy and parenting is produced by alex ward at sounds like pictures studios in portland oregon thanks everybody we'll talk again next week